All right, let's turn together to John chapter 7. So the, <clears throat> the reason why we had a giant octopus on the stage last week and all throughout camp is because the theme was uh, something called make waves. And if I say make waves, the kids go. That was how we got them to be quiet all the time. And uh, so that was fun. And uh, the, the, but the theme was, it was you'll, you would see uh, flip-flops and surfboards and water things and jellyfish and all this kind of like ocean beach themed stuff. And the idea being that um, God has put us here to make waves, to like to do something that causes a ripple effect to go out from us and to bring the life of God into places it hasn't gone yet. And uh, so all week they were, were singing about that and learning about that and the, the crafts and the wreck and the missions class and the Bible studies and everything fit into that theme uh, all throughout the week. And in John chapter 7, that's where we find the, the theme verse for the week. And so this morning what I want to do is kind of bring, bring those concepts to the grown-ups because... Uh, the kids got pushed pretty hard this week to really look at their lives and examine their lives. And uh, they're only going to do what they see modeled by us. And so I want to bring some of those same challenges to us as adults this morning. Um, so look in John chapter 7, verse 37. It says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. This is, the, this is the theme verse. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Okay? So that, that middle part of the verse, whoever believes in me, out of him will flow rivers of living water. That's what everything was centered around. Um, and we didn't, I'm going to probably get into some territory that the kids did not get into this week. But one of the things that is really important as we study the Bible is to recognize like Jesus didn't just say stuff randomly. Uh, it was always in a certain context. And so it's important to know, like, where was he when he said this? And who was he talking to? And what was going on at the time um, all around him? So let me kind of, like, try to put some context around that concept uh, for just a few minutes as we start. Um, it says in verse 37, starts off on the day, on the last day of the feast, the great day. Okay? Now, what is the feast they're talking about? If you start at the beginning of chapter 7, you would, you would see that they were at the what's called the Feast of Tabernacles. Or sometimes they call it the Feast of booth, Booths. booths. I'm not sure how you say that. Um, but it was a seven-day celebration, and it was all centered around this commemoration of the Israelite journey from slavery in Egypt into the Promised Land and how God provided for their ancestors and how he protected their ancestors through that entire pilgrimage that they made. 
And if you were to look at it on a map, like it's a, it's a pretty hefty journey for a million people to make. Uh, but it took them 40 years because of their own rebellion and things like that. And that's kind of another part of the story. But here they are, hundreds and hundreds of years later, commemorating how God took care of their great, uh, great, 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 whatever, grandparents. And uh, like that not being something that they're willing to forget. And so once a year, they would come together for a seven-day festival in Jerusalem. So everyone's packed into Jerusalem, and it's all built around that journey. And so while they were journeying in the desert, they would uh, stop and they would like put up basically what we would call just like a tent. And so there would be all these tents everywhere and they would rest for a few days, that kind of thing. And so to commemorate that, everyone comes to Jerusalem and they all bring their tent. And all throughout the streets of the city, there's just tents set up everywhere. All As far as the eye could see, you just see all these tents. And they would come to the festival, but instead of staying with family and relatives or like hotels or however, however that worked back then, they would all live, they would rough it for seven days because they wanted to like step into the story of their ancestors. And so that was like a big, a big part of the week is saying like, well, this is what they went through. Let's reenact that as much as we can. And a part of what they would do is they would, they had these massive oil lamps and no one's totally sure what they look like. Uh, but they were 75 feet tall, okay? Now, I don't know how tall the top of that steeple is, but let's just pretend in our mind that the top of that steeple is as, as tall as these lamps would go, and there would be four of them in the city, and they were huge, and they would light them, and so this big giant flame would shoot up, and those four lamps would give tons of light, and as you were coming into the city for the festival, that, that was the imagery that you would see, is these huge fires set up on top of these lamps that you could see from everywhere. And the reason that they did that is because uh, while they were on the pilgrimage, their ancestors were, uh, God would lead them in a, a pillar of fire. So let me read to you Exodus 13. This is 21, 22. It says, The Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they may travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Okay, So it's kind of hard to recreate a cloud, but you could recreate the, the pillar of fire. And so that's what those big lamps were for. So the idea is our ancestors, they lived in tents while they were traveling. So we're going to live in tents during the week. They were in the presence of God and the provision of God. They were reminded of this by this, this giant pillar of fire. So let's make giant pillars of fire. And a third thing that they would do is they would bring water in from the pool of Siloam. You know, bring it into the temple to remind them of the fact that not only did God lead them with the pillar of fire, um, not only do they live in tents, but when you're out in the wilderness, you, got, you have to have water. You know? And so God would provide water where there was no water. And so they would bring water into, in from the pool of Siloam into the temple to commemorate the fact that God provided them with water. And so what they were trying to do is to try to step into that story and let's recreate it as much as we can. We'll live in tents. We'll have the pillar of fire. We'll bring in water because there is no water. All of this reminding that God did not abandon his people. He had not abandoned them way back then. He was not going to abandon them now in those moments. 
This was something if you were a child, you would grow up going to this festival. And so you would have seen those lights. Like that would be like the imagery that's, that you're so reminded of as you think about it. And if you're like, what is this festival again? They're like, it's the one with the, with the big fire. It's like, okay, I know, I know exactly what that is. And they would bring in the water. And so in chapter 8, when Jesus says, I am the light of the world... This was right after this festival. They would have been surrounded by light, reminding them of God's presence and provision and leadership. And yet he says that he is the light. He's saying, I am, I am, the, I am the very same light that led your ancestors through. Like I have become flesh among you. I am the one. That's what he's connecting that to them. He wants them to understand that he was the one who has been leading them the whole time. That God was in their midst. And so when he says, I'm the light of the world, that wasn't an obscure reference. That was very well timed with what they had just been sitting in for the last week. So the verses that we read a few minutes ago are also very much a part of the story. When they were in the desert... This is Exodus 17. Here's a water miracle. They were, they were complaining because they were complainers. That's what they did. And they're, but they were also legitimately like, hey, we cannot survive without water. What are we going to do? And in verse 6, Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Everyone's complaining. Moses is like, hey, hold on. God's going to provide. He takes his staff. He hits a rock. Water starts coming out of it. They had water. Also in Numbers chapter 20, same, same location, same problem, lack of water. It says that Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice, and water came out abundantly. The congregation drank and their livestock. So when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he's referencing the big pillars of fire saying, I am the same. Now here, when he talks about water, he's essentially doing the same thing. He's bringing this not as a random analogy, but he said, hey, you know how we've been remembering God's presence and his provision, and we've been talking about fire, and we've been living in tents, and we've brought water in? Hey, I am the fire. I am the water. This was completely contextualized in a way where they would have been able at least to connect some of the dots. And so that's why it says, verse, back to verse 37, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. They've been thinking about their ancestors who were thirsty and God provided water out of a rock. And Jesus says, hey, I am, I am the water. I am the rock. I am what you are thirsting for. As he stood up and cried out to all these people. Now think, think about it. You're at a festival, and one of the things you're thinking about is like, man, God provides water when his people are thirsty. And Jesus stands up and is like, hey, the provision is standing right in front of you. And some of them connected the dots, and some of them didn't connect the dots. But that's, that's the context. That's what's going on with his disciples that is what he's trying to say is that, hey, I, I'm here in your midst still. I am providing still. 
Um, and the fact that he is there in the flesh is really pointing to the fact that he's come to provide a, a completely different thing. That yes, they needed leadership. Yes, they needed water. But he's like, hey, I'm here to bring you what you really, really need. What is at the bottom of all of our need? Verse 38. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Okay, let's, let's break that down just a little bit. So now we kind of know the context and what's going on. If you were a listener, you're like, did he just say that he's the water? Yeah, he just said that he's the water. And his next statement is, you have to believe in me. And the kids heard that this week, that Jesus is worth following. Jesus is trustworthy in every way. Whoever believes in me. Now, part of what that tells us is, is that Everything, everything in relationship to Jesus is about trust and not about trying to earn it. It's not about our work. It's not, doing, it's not about doing a bunch of good deeds. You know, it's not about being a good person. You hear that sometimes. Ah, oh, such a good person. Great. It's good to, good to be a good person. But in regard to your relationship to Jesus, that's, that's not what Jesus is looking for. He's not looking at your behavior and a lot of us are very grateful for that, right? Like, thank the Lord for his grace that he's not looking at you and saying, you got to perform just right. Otherwise, I'm not going to like welcome you to me. He's like, no, you just, you just have to believe that I am who I have said that I am. You just have to trust that I'm telling you the truth. If you have not trusted that Jesus is like, he is who he says he is, that when he says, I have come to save you from yourself, from your own sins and your own brokenness, I've, I've come to bring you into my life, then today, could, I mean, this moment can be the moment for you. You just say, I totally believe that, that he is the one. We just have to recognize, like, I can't save myself. I have to have a savior. And so he says, whoever believes in me. And notice that he says, whoever um, he's not saying like, if, if you are a Jewish male and you believe in me, or if you are Jewish, or if you are from this country or this country or this country, or if your skin looks like this or this, but not this, or if your past is free of these particular indiscretions, or if your behavior looks a certain way, there is no... There's no qualifier. He says, whoever believes in me. That, that is essential to our gospel. That's why we can have a camp and say, any kid that comes through the doors like, is, like, is who Jesus wants. We don't have to separate out. It's, it's, why, we, it's why we are all here. Because if it was up to our own earning, zero of us would make it. None of us. And so Jesus is like, hey, instead of making you try to claw your way and earn your way to me, I'm going to come to you and just invite you to believe that I'm telling you the truth. That you are a sinner and you are dead in your trespasses and sins and there's nothing you can do about it, but I can do something about it. 
And so if you believe that I can do something about it, you just say, I believe you can do something about it, and then I'll do something about it. So he stands up in the midst of people thinking about this water miracle. He says, I am the water. If you are thirsty, come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me. And that's pretty fantastic. But it actually, it actually gets better from there because he says, whoever believes in me, this is verse 38, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, that's a little confusing, right? Because uh, we know a lot about the heart now, right? You don't want water flowing out of your heart, do you? All our doctors are like, true, very true story. So there has to be something. So we have to kind of jump into a primitive mindset a little bit in that first century way of thinking. What What does it mean that out of his heart will flow water? Well, Back then, they they didn't know what we know about the body. They didn't understand the difference between what the brain does and what the heart does, stuff like that. But they knew, like they knew, something was happening in here. And when this stops working, people pass away. Like they kind of, and so to them, the the their understanding of the heart was that like that's the that's the seedbed of everything in our lives. So that is where our uh, that's where our thoughts originate. That's where our feelings originate. That's where um, that's where we make choices from. It also is what keeps us physically going. They kind of like pulled everything together. Whereas in terms of like being modern, we're like, no, that's this, that's the brain that does that. And actually we're like, actually it's the, the front right part of our brain. Like we're so smart now, you know, we know so much. And so, uh, but back then they were just like, man, something inside of me is making all this happen. And to them, it was the heart. And so a part of what he is saying is, uh, whoever believes in me from your entire life, your physical life, your thought life, your feelings, your choices, the things that you desire, um, uh, like every single facet of your life is going to be impacted. That's pretty cool, right? Whoever believes in me, something is going to happen to every part of you. So in other words, sin has brought death to every part of us. And Jesus brings life to every part of us. Pretty pretty great. Out of his heart will flow what? Rivers of living water. Now if you were here last fall, you might remember uh, several weeks in a row of talking about um, broken cisterns. Right And in, in the book of Jeremiah where uh, he says, My people have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and they've dug for themselves broken cisterns. And so you might recall this, that in this part of the world at this time, you basically had three sources of water. You could, you could get water from, uh, from like a stream or a spring. Um, that was the best kind of water. If you didn't live close to one of those, you could like collect rainwater and kind of channel it into like a well of some sort. Um, and uh, that's like really, really good. But if you um, were really remote, maybe like out in the mountains, that water that's like coming down off the mountains and stuff like that, you could channel that into a pit. And a pit is kind of like a well, but it's a whole other thing. But just trust me, you want the living water. 
You don't want the water that's going to sit in a hole in the ground and turn stagnant and disgusting and get all kinds of parasites and all kinds of weird things growing in there. That's not what you want your family drinking. That's not what you want your livestock drinking. That's not, that's not what you want going into the body. You want the river. You want the, the spring. You want the, the fountain. And, and because that, to them, they're like, we don't know where this water is even coming from. But it's moving, and it kind of meanders, and it's, and it's kind of had a life to it. And so those, the fountains, the springs, the rivers, those were called living water because it had a life of its own, and it kind of had its own source. That's what you wanted. Everything else was a backup plan, but you wanted the living water. And they would have been familiar with that analogy. And so he stands up in front of people who are already thinking about God providing water to thirsty people. And he says, I am the water. Come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, whoever comes to me and drinks, out of his entire life will flow water that is alive. And then John adds this commentary here, verse 39. He said this about the Spirit, okay, capital S, Spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. And so John is writing this much like, like he's writing this years later and he's saying, he's realizing like, oh, when Jesus talks about the living water flowing from our lives, he's talking about the power of his spirit at work within us. That whenever we believe in him, God comes to live within us. And through our physical bodies, through our words, through our thoughts, through our actions, through our intentions, through our hopes and our dreams, all of that is flowing out of our lives through the power of God's Spirit at work within us. So John puts that in there, like, P.S. He's talking about the Holy Spirit, which hadn't come yet at that time, but now that's a reality. He's looking back on this and saying, man, that made no sense in the moment. But now, after having watched Jesus die, be buried, be resurrected, and then ascended, and then watching God send the Holy Spirit to empower us, he's like, oh, there's, there's, that's the river of living water. Now I get it. Because that's all part of the plan. And so when you push all that stuff together... When we think of Jesus being the source of life, and from our faith in him, we become full, and from us doesn't come a broken cistern. We become rivers. We get to make waves. Right? Like that's, that's what the kids heard all week long is that you can change the world around you. Why? Because when you believe in him, you have a river of living water flowing out of the things that you say and the things that you do and the things that you think and the choices that you make and the way that you interact with other people. You are able to bring a river of living water into dead places. We push them to think about it. In Bible study and in crafts and even in rec. In the missions class, they talked about 
Everywhere your feet go. Everywhere your feet are. That is a place where you are taking this good news to them. That is a place where the river of life is flowing. And so we had them think through their lives. We had them think through the, what that means at home. Some of the parents are like, thank you. Appreciate that. What does that mean at school? What does that mean when you're in your friendships? What does that mean if you play sports or if you're in some sort of like musical thing, if you're in dance class or whatever it may be? What are all the, where are all the places that your feet go? Where are all the places that the river of living water is flowing? And you think about the thirsty folks on the other side of that. You think about the dead places all around us where that river has not yet made it. We pushed them to think about that. And I want to bring that here for us to think about too. Because the kids are going to do what the grown-ups do. If the home is not a place where the river of life is flowing, they're not going to take that to school. If mom and dad, grandma, grandpa, whoever, whatever they call you, if you're not bringing it to work, if you're not bringing it to your neighbors, if you're not bringing it to the cashier at the grocery store, you know, they're probably not going to do it either. But I can tell you this from this week, they want to. They really want to. But, but they're abstract thinkers, right? They need concrete examples. They need to see what it looks like. One of the mornings, Meg did a devotional with the leaders. She read this. This is John 14. This is a, a little bit later. Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Okay, now let's put this, let's put the previous one together. Whoever believes in me, rivers of living water will flow from within him. We're like, yes, that's amazing. He also says, whoever believes in me will do the same things that I do. That's not an either or, that's a both and. So if you really believe in me, then you're, you're going to do what I do. And then he doubles down, says, and greater works than these he will do. Because I'm going to the Father. Now, at first, we're like, how, how am I going to do greater things than Jesus? Well, it's because we're very limited in our perspective, right? Like, we look at Jesus and we're like, man, if I could, like, heal people, I'd, I would roll, you know? You would also become, like, a, like, prosperity preacher trying to get rich off of that, too, probably, right? Like, Jesus was able to be a healer and not be an egomaniac at the same time. So let's just kind of, like, keep that in mind. But when he says you're going to do greater things... Think about this. Jesus is spirit-filled one person in one GPS point on the planet at a time. Now the Holy Spirit has come to live in millions and millions and millions of people. He's saying the scope of what you are going to do, that you bring the same power of the Spirit that did every miracle that he did, including raising him from the dead, you are filled with that power and you get to go to your school. You get to go to your workplace. You get to go to your neighborhood. You get to go to your grocery store. You get to bring that. Jesus is like, look, I was one place at one time. Now the church is covering the planet. There's so, there's so many rivers out there, right? 
If you believe in me, whoever believes in me, rivers of living water will flow from within him, and you will do the things that I do. In fact, you'll do even greater things. The kids got pushed into that this week. And they grabbed onto it and they said, I want, I want to do this. So many of them, you could just see how charged they would get with it. But we are not passive participants in this. Last week when Joe was here and he preached and he talked about like, what if, what if loving people like Jesus became as, as natural to us as breathing? I think everyone else was like, yeah, I really, really want that to be the case for me. Well, God's not going to like hypnotize you into a trance where you have no role in it. He's not going to overtake you in some out-of-body experience. He's like, he's like no, I'm, a, I'm on board too. Let's, let's work together to cultivate that in your life. Let's develop that in your, in your life. Let's, let's learn to say no to some things and yes to some things. Let's... Let's realize where all of this comes from. That I'm the vine, you're the branches. You know, like let's, let's abide together. Let's let this transformative work really happen. We are not passive participants in that. We are active participants in it. And if you say no to it, he's going to let you say no to it. He really is. But if you say, I don't want to do anything. I want you to do everything. He's like, oh, that's not really how this works. This is a relationship. This is a connection. This is a partnership. This is us doing things together. And yes, there are times when he uh, kind of overrides some of that stuff. But like the majority of the time, it's us saying yes to his plan. That's how it works in us. And so it's us saying, I want to bring the river of life everywhere that I go. Everywhere my feet are, I want that to bring life to dead places. I want to change that cashier's day by my kindness. I want to change the culture of my workplace. I want to bring life to the baseball team, to the dance moms, whatever. Like I want a river of life flowing in the east side of the Sherwood neighborhood. All those things together. Today is, a, today is a significant day in history. It's June the 19th. That's also known as Juneteenth. And uh, this is something I honestly had not even heard of until several years ago. Um, it took two and a half years from the time the Emancipation Proclamation was made by President Lincoln. It took two and a half years for that freedom to be brought to everyone who was enslaved. And the last place that it got to was Galveston, Texas. And there were, when you hear people talk about like why that, why that took so long, some are very quick to say, well, information traveled really slowly and it's archaic and that kind of stuff. Not two and a half years though, right? There's a lot of sin over those two and a half years. A lot of documented sinful people intentionally not wanting slaves to be freed. And, uh, but on June 19th, um, that's when that, well, we think the last group of slaves were brought the official word that you've been set 
officially, federally, like by law free. Um, and so that's what this weekend, that's a celebration. And we should all celebrate that. Uh, that the, the, um, the pain of our country's history, um, that there are those who are like, we have to make this right as much as we can, you know. And so it is a day to celebrate and to honor. And if you think, think about it, how terrible that there are people who lived longer than they had to in bondage. They should have never been in bondage in the first place, right? From a legal standpoint, two and a half years more than they already had. Think about people who died during that time or people who were born into that. There's, there's so much to it, and it's so easy to sit here and be like, how could they stand in the way? How could so many people intentionally stand in the way? And I can't help but leap over to the gospel, right? Like we have, we have the message of freedom. We have the river of life. May we not, in a similar sense, frustrate the passageway of that river into the dry places. May we not be a part of keeping the gospel from people just because we're so busy, we're so prideful, we're so afraid of uncomfortable things, we're so this, 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 this. Last week, Joe referenced a quote from a guy named Kurt Thompson, who's a counselor. And uh, I, I can't remember the exact quote, but it's something along these lines. Kurt said, uh, you can only give to people what you have first received. And Kurt Thompson does a lot of work in regard to shame and trauma. I'm thinking about that a lot this week. And really, Jesus, Jesus says the same, same things, right? Like, in John 13, he says he gave us a new commandment. He says, love others as I have loved you. In other words, what you have received, you can now give to others. There's another time, Jesus, there's a sinful woman there, and the Pharisees are being all judgy about her, and he's like, no, 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 no. she's been forgiven a ton, so now she can love a ton. So what Kirk Thompson is saying is really a biblical idea. Like we, we pass on what we have received. And, and so I think for me, and maybe you would see yourself in this too, like that maybe there are times when my, um, my like withholding of the river of life is maybe rooted in the fact that I, maybe sometimes I just forget what I have received not that I haven't received it because God says I've received it. But maybe sometimes I become so distracted or just kind of in my own lane or just self-centered and whatever it is. And I, I end up withholding that from people and I have to confess that, you know, but the, the cure for that is to just return to the beauty of what we've received. That's a part of what, why the saints gather regularly. It's like, hey, in case you've forgotten, Jesus is incredible. In case you've forgotten, uh, Jesus has saved you, like all of you. In case you've forgotten, this is who he is, and this is what he's done, and this is what he's doing, and this is who you are, and this is who we are. We're like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And then we're sent back out, right? So in theory, every Sunday when we're together, whenever we dismiss, we say that priestly blessing should be the opening up of of the dam, so to speak, and the flowing of that, like all the water starts to rush. Like we should kind of have a way of being like, okay, I've I've hit reset. I'm, I'm kind of back in order now. I'm ready to bring the water. I'm ready wherever my feet go to bring the river of life. And so I hope that that is like how like that that is real for us. I always feel bad when you when you find out that people who work in restaurants hate to work the Sunday lunch shift because they're like, oh, church people, man. Instead of being like, I, that's the one that they want because that's when the most kind and patient and generous people flood in. That's what should be happening. And so I want to challenge you, adults, with the same things that your kids are challenged with this week. To think about where your feet go. To think about what it means to bring the river of life into those places. To think about the people who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And how Jesus says, whoever believes in me. And we get to take them that. We get to bring the message of freedom to those who are still in bondage. What a a privilege and an honor. And so this morning, we're just going to sing some Jesus songs this morning. We have communion over here to your right. Remember, we make a, clock, a, a, a clockwise pattern to kind of keep everything going. But if receiving communion, if you, if we, it would be great to have someone offer you bread and juice and then say the body of Christ was broken for you. The blood of Christ was poured out for you. If that's a reminder of what you have received that you can now give, then that is available as an option for you. If you want to come and kneel and pray, if you just want to stand there and sing your heart out, whatever, whatever you need to do, Let's not rush into our Father's Day Sundays, whatever that may look like. Let's just be together for a few more minutes. So let me pray. Let's stand together as our musicians come back. Father God, I'm so thankful for the things that you did on this campus in the hearts and minds of our kids this week. And through the efforts of our volunteers and through the cooperation of the kids and just thankful that this place was a flowing river all week long. And now we as adults get to think about our own, our own contexts, our own places that our feet go. We don't want to just like model something for the kids. We want, we want to just be genuine disciples who want to pass on what we have received from you. And so we thank you that your body was broken for us and your blood poured out for us and for the way that you have loved us selflessly and eternally. And so may we deepen our understanding of that so that we can bring that to other people. We don't want to be people who withhold it, you know, who are hoarding and self-centered about our, our forgiveness and what we have, that we realize that this is... Um, this love and grace is coming from an an endless source that you are the lights you are the river of life that you are everything that we need and there's enough of you to go around the entire world forever so in these moments as we sing and pray and receive communion I pray that we would be uh, obedient 
and full of joy as we follow you forward. We love you very much. This uh, in the good and perfect name of Jesus. Amen.